Last fall, when I was studying this book of Philippians, I wasn't sure, as I told you, whether I was going to do a flyover on the chapter 1 and be done with the Philippians, or whether I am going to go slow. You know, and it is, to me, obvious that we are moving slowly. Not because there is some special honor in moving such a pace or pride, but because that's how the Holy Spirit is illuminating His Word to me. In Lloyd-Jones' book, he talks about how he cannot have a rigid preaching calendar because he says, how can you predict what the Holy Spirit will say? So I think that's my expression and impression at this point that It is really not my idea of how fast I will go, how slowly I will go, but depends on how the Holy Spirit is giving me some ideas in it. I say this because I want some people to understand, because if you are not coming from this kind of teaching and preaching, and you may wonder, why is Sam going so slowly? I have a couple of mentors. First one is through the book. His name is Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley's son. And he wrote a book, and I've read it some 10 years ago. And some of the things that he said stuck in my head. He said, if you have 10 good things to say, make it into a 10-week series. At first, you think, well, you run out of the things to say. That's why you wanted to make it, prolong it as long as you can. But really, as I spend more time in the teaching and preaching, I don't think so. It is really because you want to have a one main idea. You could talk about 100 things, but most people will not remember anything. Also, another mentor was my pastor. He was a great preacher, and I was one of his associate pastors, and Whenever we have time to eat, whatever, we ask questions and we talk about various things and often we will talk about preaching. And he was a great preacher. And he would teach us things and he would encourage us sometimes. He could suggest some of the suggestions to us, what to do, what not to do, things like that. And one of the things that he said to all of us is that you want to have a main idea and make it sharp. Um, You don't want to have too many things to say, but make one thing and work on it to make it sharp. And in order for you to do that, to make the edge sharp, one thing really is needed, he said. That is to cut out everything you think it is good. And I'm telling you, it is very, very difficult to do. In your meditations and studies... God shows you many things. And you want to say everything to your church. But you cannot do that for these reasons. And I simply want you to know, today, we are not moving too far. And it is not some kind of hidden agenda that is in me, but for these reasons, I want you to know what I'm thinking in my head, why he's doing that in that way. That's why I'm explaining these things. So yesterday... One of those Sundays this week was one of those weeks that I had to make a decision. How far will I go 
on this Sunday, given Sunday. And really, it took me whole week, and I made a final decision yesterday, after the prayer meeting in the afternoon, to really to listen to all those advices that I'm hearing in my own head, to cut out everything, to make one point, to one point sharp. And that is the very first few words in verse 9. I've written out my sermon on entire verse 9. But I made a decision, prayerfully, that I will just stick with the very first sentence in verse 9. And I hope and pray that you will take it home with you. And the topic is prayer. As you can see, In your text, verse 9, 10, and 11, they are a unit. Verse 10 is so that, verse 11 is having been filled. So it is a one sentence. But as I was meditating on this section, very first few words stood out to me. And it says, and... This I pray, Apostle Paul says. You expect Paul to pray. So when I read this section, you expect me to say we should pray. And I will. But after my studies, I looked at three pastors in their Commentaries, but really it is sermon-based commentary. How they named this section, verse 9, 10, and 11. Listen to these men, how they decided to name this section. John MacArthur, verse 9, 10, and 11, he says, title of that section is Essentials for Growth in Godliness. Sinclair Ferguson, Prayer for Growth. Steve Lawson, the nature of prayers. So they are saying, you know, this section, verse 9 and 10 and 11, they are about growth. It is about Philippians. I want you to grow. And these are required of you to grow. And all of these men were saying that. Sure, it is about that. But if you have been spending some time with me past few weeks thinking about previous verses, there's a more organic transition from what he has been saying and what he says in verse 9. If I, if I hadn't spent enough time in first few verses, I would probably say the same thing. Verse 9 and 10 and 11 is about growth. I want you to grow, so I want you to pray. That's probably what I would say too. But we have spent so much time in the beginning verses. But when you spend enough time, God gives you certain perspective on the things that you've been reading all this time, but a fresh perspective. And this is how I see verse 9 and what is happening. Every verse from verse 3, as we have seen last week, is packed with his emotions. Verse 3, I thank my God. Verse 4 is about his joy in his prayer. Verse 6, he said, I am confident in God. Verse 7, I long for you, I have you in my heart. Verse 8, 
with affection of Christ Jesus. So, up until now, he has been expressing his feelings, right? That's what ha- that's what is been that's what's been happening. I see all of those verses as a strain of magma on the ground. His thanksgiving, his joy, his confidence, his affection, all coming in and becoming main body of magma under the um, mountain, volcano. And all of that, the pressure has been building up up until this point in verse 8 and verse 9, I see, and this I pray, his eruption. It is erupting. All of that that he has been feeling inside and he's been expressing that feeling toward the Philippians. But now in verse 9, finally he erupts. That's how, that was the image that came to my mind. In fact, if you go back and read verses 3 through 8, it is a one sentence. As if he wrote from verse 3 to verse 8 in one stroke of pen. He's not pausing. He picks up his pen and he's writing. And verse 9, what does it say? And. There's a pause. He's breathing. And this I pray. So I thought, yes, it is about growth. But he's not saying, you know what, let me tell you something. I want you to grow. Our pleasantries are done. We said, hi. I said, thank you, and let's move on to some serious topic. I want you to grow. That's not what he is doing. All of that, he is channeling it, and it is coming out of him in verse 9 as a prayer. And this I pray. So I titled it, Paul Erupts in His Prayer. So I want to emphasize that theme today. And this I pray. So I'm going to give you some of the things that came to my mind as I've been thinking about that. First, prayer does not happen in vacuum. You must feel something for you to pray. That's my first observation. We don't want our feelings to take the driver's seat. But, just examine your own life. We do not pray for the things that we do not know about, or we do not feel or care about. For you to pray... Deep within, before you could pray, there has to be two main feelings, if I could put it that way. That is love. The second one will be the helplessness. You have to feel those, those two emotions before you could pray for something. Think about that. If you don't care, you will not pray. Simple as that. And if you don't feel helpless, you will not pray. So I could say today, you know, these are the things that are required for you to grow. So first thing is to pray. So let's pray. You better pray. You need to pray. But I am going underneath 
of that surface to see what is happening. For Paul, verse 9 is eruption. It's so organic. It's a natural consequence of what he's been saying. What, what, what has he been saying? He feels all of this because of your faithful participation in the gospel. Thankful, joyful, confidence, affection, all of that. They come together and just erupted with his prayer. So think about why you are not praying. And I'm not saying this to accuse you. Think about why you are not praying. Because you, you do not feel attached to that person, event, whatever. Also, you do not feel helpless about the situation. For Paul, his love for the people at Philippi, in Philippi, his love for them, and his feeling helpless in a sense that what he's requesting to God in verse 9 through 11, he cannot accomplish on his own. Paul is not God. Paul is not Jesus. He's a pastor, preacher, evangelist, missionary. So he prays to God. So right emotion propels your prayer to go higher. Verse 8, do you see the word with the affection of Christ Jesus? I looked it up, affection. What, what is that? What word is that? Is that agape love? Or what is that? So affection of Christ Jesus is a very in- interesting word. Affection means your intestine, literally. Your bowel, entrail. So literally what he's saying, I am loving you with my entrails, intestines. Of Christ Jesus. That, that is an Hebraic expression. That's the seed of your emotions. Like butterfly in your stomach. Kind of a deal. He's feeling that. And that's why he's praying. It's not that you don't have time. You lack discipline. But it is because you lack love. It is because you lack helplessness. Um, that's why we don't pray. Second observation is this about prayer. And this I pray. Don't let only the difficult situations or bad, hard, difficult emotions be your motivation for prayer. Usually we pray when we hear the news, bad news. We hear about somebody suffering, difficulties, then we pray. But we have seen from Paul's letter here. Good things, good feelings that he's feeling. And we could say we give thanks to God when he could express all these emotions, thanksgiving, praise, you know, joy, confidence. But all those good emotions, with that, he prays. So, second observation is, If you have someone or something to give thanks to God, why don't you go one step farther? Do not stop with the praise to God. But you could pray for that person. Yesterday afternoon, I was just checking up on our presbytery schedule. It happening in in April. So I was looking at the docket and Name came to my mind. His name was John Malin. Some of you know. I think he's been here. 
There's an old gentleman, he's a pastor in Philadelphia, where he's along West Pennsylvania. Uh, but he travels all the way, well, before COVID, all the way out here uh, to participate and lead as a clerk of our presbytery. So I was reading that docket, and I thought about him. And as I was preparing this, I thought, well, why don't I just pray for him at that moment? And I prayed for him, John Mallon, and I sent him an email saying, Reverend John, I just thought about you and I prayed for you. So if you have someone to give you thanks to God, if you could do that, you could also stop and pause and pray for them. That's what we learn from this text. Third thing about prayer is this. We've been saying feelings are important. And we talked about last Sunday many things. I suspect none of you will wake up in the morning and if you drink coffee or tea, let's say you're having morning coffee, you do not wonder that time, at that time, oh, how should I feel today? We don't, we don't think about that. You plan what to wear, what to do, what to eat, but none of us really Think about our feelings, as I pointed out last week. Because feelings are usually reaction to certain events or people. But we have learned that you don't want to do that. You don't want, to let, you don't want, to, you don't want the world to set agenda for you and other people set that emotional agenda for you. So we have to do something about it. And I'm going to reinforce that idea how you should go about finding an anchor before anything or news that you read about, hear about, trouble you. That is this. Use what you have seen from verse 3 to 8 every morning, and even now, next few verses. You read it every morning. And use that as, you see, when the orchestra plays, they, there's a first violin comes out and, you know, he or she plays and everybody tunes to that rhythm or the tune. Same thing. You have to come to the Word and you see these words and you pray these words to God and help, ask God to help me feel these feelings this way laid out before you. By the word. There's a book called Praying the Bible by Don Whitney. In that small book, what he's saying is you don't, you don't normally pray all the time with so many words. What you got to do when you feel weak in your prayer is to go to the word, open it up, and read it and make that into your prayer. That was the idea. Praying the Bible. So in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. You read that morning time and you say, Well, I thank my God. This is my prayer to you. Help me to thank you. What you have given me, what you have shown me. There are so many things that I could think about in verse 3. And you go on. Joy. There is confidence. There is affection. So all of that... So you tune your emotions to the Word of God, 
so that when you hear the word or news that something is happening, you do not panic. You do not get terrified at the news. What do you do when your doctor says you have stomach cancer? How would you feel that morning, that afternoon? Right, so we need to be prepared emotionally. You cannot let the world news and the people drag you around because we have to be anchored in God. And one way for you to take control of your emotion is by tuning it to the Word of God. Number four is this. Flowing out of all that we just talked about, as important as our feelings are and essential and foundational for our stable life and faith, let those good emotions that you just tuned to, let, let it erupt in praise for God and prayer for others. At the end of the day, you don't want to simply say to God, God, thank you for having, uh, having, let me, let, letting me have a good day today. I was not depressed today. Uh, I was not angry. I was not harsh. So it, this was a very successful day. But that is, a, that is the beginning point. You need that. But we don't want to end there. So God, if God has given you that grace, use that moment to praise God and pray for other people. So that's some of the things that came to my mind as I read that, and this I pray. It really is not so much his spiritual discipline. But because he loves them, naturally, it comes out of him. He prays for other people. So with that observation, let me just give you just a few practical points. Prayer is a way to love other people. Apostle Paul is in prison again. How can he love them? If you think of prayer as some kind of personal monologue to God, then this would be a waste. But if this is heard by God, then his prayer would be beneficial to the Philippians in reality. What he's praying for really is about sanctification. So they could have better discernment. Their love will grow more and more. If God listened to that prayer request by Paul and granted what is requested in verse 9 through 11, it will benefit them. So prayer, brothers and sisters, is not your duty but prayer here for the Philippians would be a way for Paul to love them while he is stuck in his jail cell. As we will look at it next week and more, we love people by praying, but we don't want to simply end there, but that is the beginning point. But what should we pray about? 
So your love for someone must have their Godward well-being in mind. Basically, their first and foremost, their spiritual well-being. So, prayer is a way to love other people. And because we care for them, we pray for their salvation and for their sanctification. In this case, they are believers already. So Paul is not, you know, talking about salvation, but sanctification. But if we love someone, we should pray for their soul and salvation. One thing that you could do this week is this. We all have someone in our lives that's someone that does not know Christ. We may have a best friend, good friend, that we talk to, that we share things, news with. But I want you to know that the true way, true love that you could express for that person is pray by praying for them. And another thing is this. We all are believers. That means we always think about how to evangelize someone. We always think about that. We always think about how can I share the good news? How can I express, you know, the gospel to that person or not? We think about that. And one way that we could evangelize someone is by simply letting them know that you are praying for them. You don't have to win the argument. You don't have to go up to someone and say, Give them 10 points to argue about, to think about. Sometimes it is a daunting task. What do you say to someone who just got the news that he has a stomach cancer and he's not a believer? You, at that point, you don't want to really say much. You need to cry with those people and pray for them. But the best way, one of the best way to, ways to evangelize is to simply to say, I want you to know I am praying for you, praying for your spiritual well-being and physical well-being. You don't have to argue. You don't have to fight. You don't have to bring the Bible. You don't have to do apologetics event. Simply say, I care for you. I pray for you. That's all you got to do. But the seed is planted. And they will not forget. It will bother them. It will grow bigger and bigger. And every time you see them, you simply say, I'm praying for you. May God remind you during this week, some of the people in your life circle. And may God give you courage to say, at least say that, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Paul is letting them know. And this I pray. And the content He's letting them know. We as parents, we should let our children know what I am praying for them. I pray for you in this way. One, two, three, four. And and God uses those words to get stuck in their minds. I still remember some of the prayers that, that some pastors prayed for me and with me. Some of the special time. I still remember some 20 years ago when I interviewed for a job over there in a church 
and how he was soft-spoken man. He was quiet. He was wearing the black ministerial robe, and he was sitting down. And I was done with my interview, and he said, "Let's pray." And he prayed quietly, a few words. I still remember those words. Years later, I went back to that church after leaving that church for a while. I went back to say hi to the new pastor, and new pastor basically prayed for certain things. I still remember that prayer. So you let other people that you care about let them know that you are praying for them, and even contents. Second practical thing that we could think about today is he is praying for the Philippians. Is that prayer is a way to fellowship? Again, they are physically separated. They cannot see him. They cannot sit at Paul's feet to listen to the teaching. They cannot come to Paul's prison and break the bread. They cannot do. They cannot do anything. They cannot share anything. In some way, that resembles our situation. With COVID, we cannot go. We cannot freely enter someone's house. We cannot do the fellowship as it used to be the case. We cannot do that. So, how can we do our fellowship? If we ha- if we could define fellowship as participation in the gospel, whatever fellowship that you could think about, whether it is sports, whether it is just gathering tea time, Bible reading, book reading. Barbecue, whatever fellowship that is out there, our aim would be the spiritual well-being of that person or together collectively. So, no matter what we do as a fellowship, when you think about it, we cannot get rid of prayer. Just because I I ate with you, how can that help you? All of our fellowship has to be; it has to center around the gospel, and whatever benefit there. Sh- Could be would be the result of our prayer together. So why don't you think about prayer as a way to love other people, tangible way to love other people? If God hears, if God hears and listens to your prayer, then it will be beneficial. But oftentimes we think about prayer as my monologue. I'm just talking to myself, and God, you know, very difficult to ascertain the fact. But it is promise. Of God, that it is written down. We pray boldly, so you pray, knowing that God listens to you. Number two is that it is a way to fellowship. So while we wait for a better situation, so that we as a church could do more fellowship, why don't you think about prayer meeting as a fellowship time? I don't want once again to accuse anyone. But prayer meeting is there so that you could come and participate, and to pray for one another and to have a fellowship with one another. You get to listen to other people's problems and issues that we all have, and nobody could live a Christian life alone. It is not meant to be that way. And even yesterday, we heard few news that someone's going to have a surgery. Someone has passed away, and if I may share this briefly, it was something of an eye opener. Maybe some of you are not, but at least for me, it was. There was a lady in our prayer meeting yesterday 
She said、um, she prays for quiet, boring night. Remember that? <laughs> she prays for the rainy night that is quiet and boring. Who would pray for such a night? Such a night. It's a it's a quiz for the rest of you. Who would pray for a night that is rainy, quiet, and boring? It would never occur to me that it was a prayer of someone whose husband is a police officer, who's out there in the evening times and nights, all night, wherever that they station him. And I, I learned, wow, that's the wife's prayer for. The for the husband, something that I would never know, I could never guess. But as I'm listening to it, there is, you know, that pain. Thinking about her, her husband who's out there always, all the time, and and that's a, a list that was a eye opener for me. So you get to know that person a bit better and more. So please, do not waste. What God has given you at this present time. Final one, final idea that I could gain from is this. Verse nine through eleven is Paul's prayer for them to be sanctified, further sanctified. Oftentimes we see prayer as a component in the sanctification process. We measure someone's sanctification by observing that person's prayer life. How consistent. How you know long maybe? How often they pray things like that? That's how we often think about. But what I've seen from verse nine, ten, and eleven is that he does not, Paul does not say, you know, I have a great preaching skill. Think of, think about listening to Paul. He doesn't say, you know, you come and do the Bible study with me, and as a result of that, you will be sanctified. Well, you need you need to we need to use the means that God has given us, but there is the absolute dependence upon God, pleading with God. God grant them further sanctification. God has to grant it in His mercy to the Philippians for them to be sanctified. So these are some of the things that I've thought about as I've read that first few words, and you understand. If I had gone on with the rest of the section, it was going to be too long. But that's the prayer that God has shown me. What the prayer should be. Deep within, may God work with your heart, in your heart. Let your heart grow in love. For the people of Christ Church, I pray to God. God, let our people feel helpless. That's the time you come to the Lord to pray. When you are too strong, God cannot work. Until you surrender, until you give up, there's no way. There's nothing I could do. Paul is saying there's nothing I could do to cause them to grow. That's he why he prays to God. God, let them grow. Let us be the church that prays together. Let us be the church that listens to one another, so we know what's going on. Let this be the church that we 
participate in the gospel, in the fellowship of prayer, and let other people know what you're praying for. Shoot them an email, text message. Love them with your prayer. Let's pray.